So that's Isaiah chapter 11, and that's page 725 of the Red Church Bibles. I'm reading from verse 1 to 9. Uh, the branch from Jesse. A shoot will come up from the trump stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled, uh, will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We're going to uh, read from the next part of the scripture from Revelation uh, chapter 4 and uh, Elaine's going to come lead for us, thank you. Uh, It's found on page 1289 of the Visitor Bibles. After this I looked... And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emblem encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal, In the centre around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, 
honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Good evening, everybody. It's lovely to be here. Thanks so much for your welcome of us. It's been a real privilege to join with you, join with you here at Currajong and North Richmond Anglican this week, and it's a real privilege to be able to open the Bible with you tonight. I want to start by asking, what is it that makes your heart sing? What is it that stirs you, that moves you, that gets you excited and joyous? Is it baking bread for your neighbours, perhaps? Uh, has, have any of you been to a Western Sydney Wanderers game and been caught up in the... Has anyone been to a Western Sydney Wanderers game? A couple, yeah, yeah. Uh, caught up in the, the fervour and the chanting. What is it that gets you going? Maybe it's seeing the Aussies beat the English in the cricket. Uh, maybe it's that special someone noticing you when you walk into a room. Maybe it's the birth of your first child. What is it that makes your heart sing? What is it that makes your heart sting? What is it that steals your joy, that makes your heart heavy? And is there something that can hold on to you in both the good times and in the hard times? The couple of chapters we're looking at uh, from the book of Revelation are part of a letter that the Apostle uh, John wrote to a bunch of Christians living in a really tough context. Christians, a bunch of churches living at the end of the first century in a part of the Roman Empire where it was really costly to follow Jesus. The Apostle John had been pastoring them, but now we read in chapter 1 that he's been uh, arrested and he's on the island of Patmos, 100 kilometres off the coast, because of his testimony about Jesus. And God has there revealed to him a revelation about Jesus shown him a picture of what Jesus is like, of who Jesus is, and particularly in the book of Revelation, to show him Jesus' victory. And God tells him to write it down and send it to these churches that they might be encouraged, that they might be sustained, that they might keep going, that they might keep trusting Jesus, that their hearts might be lifted to sing to him. I'm going to pray that God does that tonight with these very same words, with this same revelation, that we might see Jesus clearly and that we might cling to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak and that as you speak, your words have real power. We pray that you might show us the glory of the Lord Jesus so that we might cling to him. And that as we see him for who he is, it might sustain us both in the good times and in the hard times. And we pray it for his sake and for our good. Amen. Well, in chapter 4, Jesus invites John to come and have a look into heaven. I wonder what picture you have in your head of what that would look like. I wonder what picture you have in your head of what God looks like well the first thing john sees in chapter 4 verse 1 
is he sees, well, he sees a throne. And the one seated on the throne, but the one seated on the throne is so glorious that it's like John struggles to describe him. We're told the one who sat there, verse 3, had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Now, Jasper, I'm told, is the translucent like a diamond and carnelian's a deep red color and then we read there's a there's a rainbow around the throne like emerald green this dazzling picture which is a little bit confusing isn't it i think it's meant to remind us of the accounts in the old testament when god revealed himself to the prophets like in isaiah 6 and ezekiel 1 they saw god in his awesome glory and used similar language to this Glory that caused Ezekiel to fall flat on his face. That caused Isaiah the prophet to cry out, Woe is me, for I am unclean. And in verse 5, here in Revelation 4, we hear that the, the throne is surrounded with flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Just like when God spoke to Israel at Mount Sinai back in Exodus chapter 19. And so terrifying was it that the people said to Moses, tell God to stop talking to us. You talk to him for us. It's too much for us. Well, I don't know what picture you have in your head of God, but whatever it is, it reveals something of what we think of God, doesn't it? And this picture here shows us that God is powerful and that God is active He's sitting on his throne, ruling the universe in indescribable glory. But just when you might expect God to speak, instead in verse 6 we're told in the centre around the throne were four living creatures covered with eyes in front and back. Uh, Sorry, I've skipped a bit. Back in verse uh, verse 3, the one who sat there had the appearance We get the appearance then, verse 4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders dressed in white. They had crowns of gold on their head. Here we have 24 other thrones around the throne and numbers are really significant in the book of Revelation. I think what's going on with the 24, we have the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, the 12 apostles in the New Testament. Here we have the full people of God. And they're on thrones and they have crowns and they wear white, which in the book of Revelation is a symbol of victory, of conquest. Here they are, glorious rulers, God's people, and yet they're not the centre. Our attention is drawn back to the one at the throne and then out again to the four living creatures. I think the four living creatures are representative just like the four corners of the earth or the four winds of the earth represent all of the earth here the four living creatures to represent all of the creature all of the creatures the lion the king of the beasts the ox the strongest of the domestic beasts the eagle the most majestic of birds and humans the ones made in the image of god all the best of the creatures stand around the throne but they're not the attention either Again, our attention is drawn away from them back to the centre, to the one on the throne, as all these living creatures 
with eyes all around who see everything, look to the one on the throne. And day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Ceaselessly, they declare that God is holy. It doesn't mean that God's not dirty or that he's clean or not sinful. What it means is that God is different. He's separate from us. He's holy. Heaven is constantly full of the praise by the creatures to the one who's not a creature. Those who depend on him for life to the one who depends on no one. The one who was and is and is to come. This is uh, the second time our team have come to Kurridjong and North Richmond Anglican Church, uh, although just Tim and I are remnants from last year. But it's really nice not to be new. It's nice to be here for a second time and to have some familiar faces, some people who've said hello and remembered me from last year. But actually, it's only our second time, and most of you I don't know at all. I'm still really new. And well, Sean, Sean's been here 13 13 years. But then there's others who've been here a lot longer, right, Dick? Uh, I saw on the plaque up at St Stephen's that the first foundation stone was laid in 1868. In terms of Australian history, the, the church in Currajong has been here for a long time, hasn't it? But 150 years? Oh, it's, we're really just beginners, aren't we? We've just recently arrived really in the span of history we're all just beginners johnny come lately's we're all newbies god spoke creation into being before the world began no matter how far you go back even before the beginning god was there we're just a blip on the vast radar of eternity, just a breath that's here today and gone tomorrow, but God is not like us. He's holy. He's different from us. He is almighty. He was and he is and he is to come. And he's worthy of our praise. He's the one who is mighty. There's no power that doesn't come from him. We have no might, no strength, no capacity, no competency, no potential that we haven't been given by him. And there's no rival to God. It's not like God's just more powerful than the guy, the guy who's powerful, who struggles with him. No, there is no struggle. There is the creator and his creation. It might not be obvious to you. We, not, we might not see it as we look around. But here God reveals to us what is really true. God sits enthroned in heaven. He is holy. He is the Lord Almighty. And the creatures constantly worship God. And as they do, we hear again of the 24 elders. As often as the living creatures speak of God's holiness, so the 24 elders hop off their, crown, off their thrones and fall before the throne. They take off their crowns and lay them before the throne, saying, verse 11, 
You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. See, the four living creatures worship God because of who he is, that he is holy. The 24 elders worship God for what he's done, that he has created all things. All things. That includes you. That includes me. You might not think about it like this, but you belong to somebody else. God made you. God owns you. He made you for himself, for you to know him and to honour him. If you start to feel a little bit uncomfortable with the idea that you belong to God, that he owns you, well, you've begun to understand what the Bible calls sin. Our claim to be independent from God. It's a claim we've all made, but it's completely foolish. Because we have nothing. We have no independence from God. Every breath is from him. We're totally dependent on him. And so the living creatures, day and night, never cease to declare that he is worthy to receive all our glory and honour and power. Here's what John sees as he sticks his head in the doorway of heaven. He sees life as it really is. All of creation centred on God, all of heaven perpetually engulfed in never-ending praise as everything is focused on God. What this chapter needs to do for us, I think, is completely reorient our vision of life. What we need is a a Copernican revolution, people say. Uh, You might remember Nicholas Copernicus, if you remember your science lessons. He was the guy who revolutionised our understanding of cosmology. So before his time, everyone understood that the world was the centre and the sun revolved around us because that's what it looks like, right? The sun comes up, the sun goes down and we stay the same. But Copernicus realised, no, that's not how it is. We've got it all wrong. We're not the centre. The sun is the centre and the earth is revolving around the sun. And as he realised that, everything else that they were observing in the sky began to make sense. So Revelation chapter 4 does the same thing for us as it gives us a real a glimpse of what is really going on. We've all lived as if we're the centre, as if the world, God, life, meaning all revolve around me. But here that's, we say that's not the case at all. We're not the centre. God is the centre. The meaning of life is not ours to discover or create or choose. The meaning of life is to know God. And the great joy and privilege as we read the Bible is that God invites us to know him, to meet him, to worship him. To understand life is to understand that it's his. His to give, his to take away. What matters is not what I want but what he wants. And to find myself is to join in worship of him. But can I say that's not actually the most amazing thing John sees. Up till now he sees what has always been happening in heaven 
But back in verse 1, Jesus has said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. And so we go to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then I looked, says John, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? God has in his hand a scroll covered in writing on both sides. And again, it reminds us of Old Testament imagery. Back in Ezekiel, God gave Ezekiel a scroll. And on it were the words and plans of God. In Zechariah, God gave Zechariah a scroll and it represented God's judgment on the nations. The scroll here, I think, represents the, the will of God, his plans for his world. But it's sealed up, sealed with seven seals. And the angel cries out, who's worthy? to open the seals? Who's worthy to know the mind of God? Who's worthy to bring about God's purposes in the world? And the actions paused. Is anyone worthy? Anyone who can know God? Humanity, here's your moment to shine. Men and women made in the image of God, the pinnacle of his creation, made to rule over the world. But no one is found worthy. It's not our moment to shine, it's our moment of shame. Because none of us are worthy, because all of us have lived as if we're the centre. No one in heaven or on earth or anyone else is fit to know God, to bring about his purposes. And John begins to weep. But then in verse 5, one of the elders says to him, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Again, triumphant language referring back to the promises of the Old Testament. Back in Genesis 49, Jacob had had prophesied that the tribe of Judah would be the lion's cub. Here that promise is amplified. Here is the, not the cub, but the lion of the tribe of Judah. The, the promise picked up in Isaiah chapter 11 that we had read for us of the, the root of David who would come and rule God's world, would bring justice and righteousness, God's great mighty king who would finally conquer and bring an end to evil and suffering and division and bring peace. Here, the line of the tribe of Judah, God's great promised warrior king has arrived. And so John turns to see this great king. And in verse 6, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. A lamb? Seriously? Looking for the great lion and he sees a lamb? Lambs are those things you have at the kids' petting zoo, right? The cute and cuddly little things with poo on their tails that you pat. This isn't the lion king. It's the lion's lunch, right? Lambs are what lions eat. And this one, well, it looks like it's been eaten. It's standing as if it's been slain. It's a dead lamb. 
but it's standing. It's the sort of thing you take to a barbecue, right? Not the sort of thing that conquers God's world. He looks like a lamb that's been slain, but we're told he has seven horns. And in Revelation, horns are a picture of strength, and seven is the the number of completeness. And he has the seven spirits of God, which is Revelation's way of talking about God's spirit. It's the spirit we saw in chapter 4 was there with God on the throne. Here is the one that Isaiah promised would come with the spirit of the Lord. And more than that, see where he's standing. He's standing in the centre of the throne. He's standing where God is glorified. He shares God's space and he takes the scroll from God's hand, the thing no one was worthy to do, he does. But the next bit's the real kicker. So John sees into heaven and what he sees next is the most amazing thing yet. This is the thing, if you get this, it changes everything. When he'd taken the scroll, verse 8, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they're holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. That which they've spoken in heaven for all eternity now changes. As they sing a new song to the Lamb, you are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. The lion is the lamb and he's worthy because he's the lamb, because he was slain. The very thing that makes him look weak and broken to us, the thing that we think is shameful, is the very thing that makes him worthy. Because of his sacrifice, he has ransomed people for God, ransomed us for God. So we saw in chapter 4 that God is worthy of all glory and honour and power, but we haven't given it to him. We've claimed it for ourselves. We're all guilty, and what we deserve is death. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, has come and taken it for us. And by his death, he's won us back, ransomed us to make us a kingdom and priest to God. And see, it is Jesus' death that reveals his glory and draws the praise of heaven. In case we haven't got it, verse 11, we see John's eyes are drawn out and this song is echoed. As he hears the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand, they encircle the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Do you hear what they've done? They pick up the song from verse 4 that was spoken of, God on the throne. And now they sing it, they belt it out to the Lamb. And then in verse 13, we pan out even more, and every creature on heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea 
in case you haven't got it, and all that's in them. John here is singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. So this isn't a temporary break in proceedings, not a moment of pause to say, thanks Jesus, good job. No, forever and ever they sing. Worthy is the Lamb and the one on the throne. Jesus' death has changed the world. That first Christmas that looked like defeat, that looks like shame, Jesus humiliated, tiny, insignificant, growing up to die a humiliating death that looks like weakness and brokenness is actually his great defeat, his great victory, his great triumph, his conquest. Here we see God's great plan that through his death, Jesus would purchase sinners and in so doing would reveal his glory. So what's happened here is not the ascent of a second God. It's not that God has always been worshipped. Now Jesus has sort of forced him to share his glory, shown he's worthy. Through the cross, God has revealed what he's really like. God the Father has shown his love for the Son by displaying through the Son his love for you. That we might see his Son is worthy to share the glory that belongs to the Father. So here is the ultimate reality that God has made his Son Lord and King. That that little baby that, that was mocked and spat on is in fact the one God whom God has enthroned over all things to be his king. And here's the secret to understanding reality. So our Copernican revolution needs to do more than just admit there is a God and that he's at the centre. We need to recognise that that God is none other than the man, Jesus Christ. At Christmas, we're not just celebrating a significant event in our history, not just marvelling at the wonder of a virgin birth, the incredible story of a young couple giving birth in remarkable circumstances. So we remember the birth of a child who was born in shame, who grew up to be betrayed and executed. We see that there we see God in all his glory. Have you seen how good Jesus is? Have you been captured by this bigger vision that Jesus rules the world, that he rules you, but he rules as the one who has come as the lamb to die for you? That by his death you might know him, that you might be brought into intimate relationship, that we might share his relationship with the Father. Is this your song? Is this what your life is about? What song are you singing? Worthy is my career to receive all my power and energy and wisdom and might. Worthy are my friends to receive all my glory, all my attention. Worthy is my family to be the thing around which everything else is determined. My boyfriend, my girlfriend, my comfort, my pleasure... I don't know what it is for you. Will you let those little things capture your heart? 
Will you be captured by something bigger? Something that is worthy of your worship. Look again to see the Lord Jesus, the Lamb, the Lion who is the Lamb, slain for you. And discover real life, what we're made for. Real life begins and ends with knowing God the Father through Jesus the Son by his Spirit.